we are starting a new attitude this morning as we go through different attitudes and talk about attitude adjustment. And we're going to talk about a big one here, humility. And I think I have more material than I can cover this morning in class. And instead of just rushing through it, I'm going to see where we get. And if we do a part two next week, that's fine because I'm going to be gone most of this week. And if I have a lesson, a little bit of a lesson left over to do next week, that'll be all right with me. But also, it's never good just to rush through things because you miss a lot of the points. And we're trying to develop ourselves here. We're trying to grow and make some attitude adjustments. And so we're going to take our time with humility because this is a really difficult one. And it's, it's kind of a two-sided thing. On the one side, you've got the ugliness of pride, and on the other side, you have the virtue of humility. And in fact, what we'll do most of our time this morning is talk about pride, which is the opposite of humility. And that's how we can start to understand humility. Sometimes you can't tell somebody what a thing is, and it's easier just to tell them what it is not. You know, it's like Peter's definition of heaven in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He doesn't really tell you what it is. He tells you it's uh, unfading, undefiled. It's, it's not going away. He, he gives you negatives, what heaven is not, because it's so hard to describe what it is. We have some positives where we can tell you what humility is, but we're going to start by talking about pride, looking at the opposite of humility. And in learning what it isn't, maybe we can get closer to what it truly is and how needed it is in our lives. So even though I'm probably going to continue this lesson next week, I'm going to have to move through this pride material pretty fast because I've got 10 points on pride, just pride itself. And uh, we're going to go all over the Bible and look at what it says about pride. And there are a lot of passages in the Old Testament on this. So if you don't get it all down and you miss some of these references and you want them, just let me know. I can get the material to you. Here's the first point. First of ten. Pride is self-satisfaction. Let's look at uh, Hosea 13, verses 4 through 6. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up, therefore they forgot me. So the timeline should be familiar to you, the history of Israel Joseph moved his people down to Egypt, and they resided in Egypt for several years and did well. But there arose another pharaoh who didn't know about Jacob and his sons, and he enslaved the people of Israel. And they were slaves in Egypt for many years. Moses, or God through Moses, delivered them out of the hands of Pharaoh. They came into Canaan under Joshua's command conquered many cities through the power of God, got settled in the land. Every man had his own vineyard and fig tree. And then their hearts were lifted up. Why? 
because they got comfortable and they were satisfied. And it wasn't the comfort itself, but it was they're forgetting the source of their comfort. They began to assign the source of comfort to themselves. And that's why we call it self-satisfaction. This is a big one for us. It's a big one for Americans. If you've traveled anywhere else in the world, you know that we lead a very comfortable life. We have much prosperity. And uh, our struggles are nothing compared to the struggles of people who live in, in impoverished places and places that are riddled with famine and war and all, this, all these other plagues. And so we can get very comfortable and satisfied and think that all of this is due to our abilities, our achievement, our strength. And people worry about persecution, but persecution is really not the most dangerous time for Christians. Spiritually, it's dangerous physically, but not, not spiritually. The most dangerous time spiritually for Christians is times of peace and prosperity. Because that's when you tend to forget the Lord. And this is what Hosea is explaining about Israel. Israel had found some peace and they started to pat themselves on the back and give themselves credit for it. So self-satisfaction. Let's go to the second one. Pride is self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Very similar to what we just saw in Hosea. Let's go over to an important passage in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses in Deuteronomy pretty much predicts everything that will happen in the history of Israel going forward. And he's doing this here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'll start in verse 11. I may skip around a little bit here. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them... And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. <clears throat> okay, let's look at that. That's very similar to what we, we said in the last point, very similar to self-satisfaction. Probably could have put it all together in one point. But he's saying there's going to come a time where you're going to get settled in the land. Beware lest you say, this all came about by my own power. Because it didn't happen. Remember the Lord your God. Pride is very forgetful. And uh, it mistakes God's goodness for self-sufficiency. Let's go on to the next one. Number three. Pride considers itself above instruction. 
<clears throat> have you ever tried to teach somebody who is proud or give them some advice? Even when they ask you for advice, they don't really want you to help them. They want you to say, you're right, you're on the right track, everybody else is wrong, all the problems you, that you have are not your fault, it's everyone else's fault. They don't really, they can't listen to advice. <clears throat> and when you can't listen to instruction and advice, what happens? You stop growing, you stop developing, you, you get stuck in the ruts you've created for yourself, you can't get out, you can't escape. So, uh, Look at Jeremiah 13, 9 and 10. God says to the people of Judah, Even so, I will spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart. So they were brought into punishment because they refused to hear God's word. That's typical of pride closed-minded, won't listen. Number four, pride is insubordinate. Doesn't respect authority. Psalm 119, verse 21. You rebuke the insolent. Other translations have arrogant there. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. <clears throat> so the commandments, the authoritative commandments of God, not respected, Insolent people wander away from them. Okay, number five, just moving right along here. Pride takes credit for what God alone does. Let's go to Daniel chapter four. It's one of my favorite Old Testament stories. It's so weird. Uh, about King Nebuchadnezzar. That's one of the strange things about it is it concentrates so much on the life of this pagan king <clears throat> but at the time, Israel was in the hands of this, this great king. He's probably the most powerful king in the world at this time. And uh, Babylon had really grown in prominence. It was the greatest empire in the world. And so the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he starts taking credit for it himself, giving himself the glory. And uh, we'll look at uh, some of his words here in verses 30 and 30, verse 30 and following. Nebuchadnezzar says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And then it says that while the words were still in the king's mouth, mouth there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom has departed from you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. That's probably the theme of the book of Daniel. The Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And he's trying to drive this home to Nebuchadnezzar. Now what happens to Nebuchadnezzar is the best remedy for pride. How do you humble someone against their will? Well, you can drive them insane. That seems to be what, uh, what God does with Nebuchadnezzar because he starts grazing in the fields like an ox and he allows his fingernails to grow out long and he just 
lives out in the wild, this man who is a glorified king on earth, he becomes an animal for a period of time. And uh, the Lord brings him out of it. And when he does, he confesses this in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So God humbles us still today, maybe not in that extreme a manner, but life will teach you a lesson if you won't learn it on your own. Pride never pays. What does Proverbs 16, 18 say? Pride goes before destruction. That destruction is the, the time when you're humbled. So beware of pride. Number six, we're just looking at the opposite of humility. We're noting several points about pride. This is number six. Pride enjoys being the center of attention. Uh, this takes us to the Pharisees over in Matthew 23. He had that lengthy discourse from Jesus on how the Pharisees behave, and there's a good description of what pride is. If you look at that whole chapter, you can see a lot about pride. But we're just going to look at verses 6 and 7. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Some people just love the spotlight. They can't stand it when people's attention is not focused on them. And so they do things, desperate things, to get attention when they feel like it's slipping away. And this is what the Pharisees were doing, conniving to get places of honor at this feast and the best seats. And I don't remember if it's here. I think it's in another place. Jesus advised the people. He said, Whenever you go to a feast or you're invited to supper at someone's house, you take the lowliest seat because then you, you've only got up to go from there. The only way you can go from there is up. But if you take the highest seat, you risk being asked to go take a lower seat. It's only downhill from there. And I think that's a good way to, to start operating within a new group or, um, you know, in new surroundings, don't try to jump up to first place. Let somebody bring you up to that place. Okay, number seven. Pride aspires to the place of God. And this is not recommended. Uh, you don't want to try to take God's place. Look at Acts chapter 12. This is verses 21 and following. This is a story of Herod... Uh, he is being paraded through the streets, and the people say, The voice of God and not of a man. And he seemed to accept that praise, welcome that praise. And uh, Luke tells us that immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That's a cautionary tale, if you ever heard one, right? He was eaten by worms because he tried to aspire to the place of God. <clears throat> We're going to talk about humility, and it goes hand in hand with faith in God. So if you really believe in God, then you have this 
picture of your own smallness. And a lot of what humility is about is being able to trust God and depend on Him and, and not think that you are Him. And that's how pride gets in the way. You can't really have faith when you're full of pride. And that's a problem because salvation comes through faith, right? There's no way to be saved without faith. All right, this is number eight. Pride opposes the very existence of God. Look at Psalm 10, verse 4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. If you think you're God, then you know or you believe there is no God. Who would ever aspire to the place of God if he really believed in God? And so this is a natural uh, consequence of the previous point, right? Pride aspires to the place of God, therefore pride opposes the very existence of God. <clears throat> Maybe the proud person believes in God, but he sees God as a rival, not as a savior or an aid. All right, and then next, number nine, pride refuses to trust in God. Proverbs 28, 25. Look at the contrast between arrogance and trust. And uh, I like the New American Standard Bible on this verse. An arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. So you see the contrast there. <clears throat> um, arrogance is just going to stir up strife. But the contrast to the arrogant man is the man who trusts in the Lord. So we've already talked a little bit about faith and its connection. Let's go on to number 10. We, we talked about this last week. I can't remember if it was in the Wednesday class. I think it was in our Sunday class. But pride is anxious about the future. There's a couple verses on this. But we'll start in Isaiah 51. God says this to anxious Israel. I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? Of the son of man who is made like grass and have forgotten the Lord your maker. It's almost... It's like somebody saying, who do you think you are? Just who do you think you are? But we usually associate pride with courage and conviction. We, we if we're, we're being honest about it, we often celebrate pride in our culture. When some loudmouth stands up and angrily accosts another person, we'll say, that's a bold man right there. That's somebody who stands up for what he believes. Um, we laugh when people scream at the refs. We pat people on the back for being controversial. We celebrate them until they cross us, and then we have a problem with them, right? But if somebody's on our side and they're, they're very proud, a lot of times we celebrate that. And we look at it as courage, 
But here, Isaiah is describing it in terms of cowardice. Who do you think you are being afraid of human beings? He's talking about the problem of anxiety, and he's doing something very strange here for us. We don't ever do this. He's connecting anxiety to pride. Pride is one of those root sins that causes a lot of other problems. And we've talked about a lot of it already this morning, self-reliance, not believing in God, not depending on God. But here we see that pride is the root of certain kinds of anxiety. Now to help with this, let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is the passage we were looking at last week. Verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So the command is, be humble, don't be full of pride, and the way you do that is described in verse 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. How? Casting your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. This is connected to Isaiah's words. Who do you think you are that you're afraid of human beings who die? Mortal men. Peter's saying, you've got to humble yourself and quit thinking that you can control things and other human beings can control things. The world is not in the hands of mortal men. The world is in the hands of Almighty God. And so this is as simple as being able to say the prayer, God, I know all things are in your hands. You're in control. I don't understand but I commit my life to you knowing that you will do what is best. And that doesn't solve all types of anxiety. I I hope you understand I'm talking about a particular kind of anxiety here that's rooted in a lack of trust and the feeling that human beings are more powerful than they truly are. All right, so that's my list of 10 things about pride to get us started in understanding humility. I can pause right here if anybody has any other ideas or comments about pride that they'd like to make. I'm I'm sure I missed some things, even though we went over 10 10 different points. Any comments anybody wants to make? All right, if not, let's go to the positive side. So we've seen humility through its opposite. Let's get more specific to what humility really is. Noting in the first place, it's not having a low self-esteem. And uh, I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But when I think about this, I think about Jesus who described himself as humble. He said, uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, I am meek and lowly in heart. That's basically saying, I am humble. And he came in humility. When did Jesus ever 
behave in a proud manner. He never did, right? Now, do you ever think of Jesus as having a low self-esteem? I mean, would you, can you imagine that? No. I don't think anybody's ever described Jesus that way. He's been described in all kinds of ways, but nobody's ever described him as somebody who had a low sense of self-worth. And so humility can coexist with a healthy self-esteem. And that brings us to Romans 12, verse 3. Listen to what Paul says. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And then he gets into a list of different gifts. You know, he compares the church to the body that has different members, and not all members have the same function, and some are givers and some are encouragers, etc. But I want to hang on to what he's saying here in verse 3, starting with the, the words on, on their face, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So that gets back to those 10 points on pride. Don't be proud. You're not responsible for your blessings. God has blessed you. You're not self-sufficient. You're not self-reliant. You are where you are because others have brought you to that point, namely God. But it's very interesting that he says there is a way that you ought to think of yourself. There's a baseline here, right? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Which implies that we shouldn't think of ourselves more lowly than we ought to think either. There is a level where you ought to think of yourself. And I think that implication is pretty strong there. Jonathan Edwards said, True humility is not an abject, groveling, self-despising spirit. It is having a right estimate of ourselves as God sees us. So that leads me into... Yeah, go ahead, Larry. Yeah, that's good. That speaks of norms and standards. If you weren't hearing Larry, he was talking about Paul's use of the word measure, which is related to standards, which goes back to there's an objective standard for how we ought to think of ourselves. And you can go too far above that standard, you can go too far below that standard. And so that's you know, speaks of pride, but it also speaks of a low self-esteem. Now, there are two ways that people get their sense of self-worth. And I'm going to put them up here as equations. Now, the one on top is the world's equation for self-worth. Self-worth equals your achievements plus others' opinions about you. Now, how long will that hold up? Will you ever get there? Will your achievements, whatever they are, will you become happy with your achievements and that also lines up with people having a positive opinion about you? 
How long does that last? Not very long if you ever get there, right? Because you're going to fail. You have limitations. If you're trying to do anything in the world, you're going to make mistakes. And so once you fail or make a mistake, your self-worth is going to come crashing down. And then people, when you achieve things, that's the time when people start trashing you the most, right? And uh, so people's opinion of you will, f- will fall, and you lose your self-esteem then. And so you're never able to find that equilibrium when you're trying to use the world's way of, of finding self-worth. A much better system is uh, God's, which is the, the equation on the bottom there. Self-worth equals God's declarations about you. You go to the Bible, you see what God says about you, and that's how you ought to think of yourself. That's the standard. That's the measure Larry was talking about. What kind of things, I mean, you help me out here. What kind of things does God declare about us in his word? Yeah, starting at the very beginning, Genesis 1. Let us make man in our own image, God says. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And that applies not just to Christian, that applies to every human person in the world. Made in the image of God. Pretty good starting place, right? That's right. That's one I was thinking I was thinking about both of those. And there are many passages on that. John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a high value on mankind to give one's son so that we might live. Can anybody think of other passages? We all have gifts, and we're looking at Romans 12, uh, 3 through 8 or 9 in there, uh, all the gifts that we have. And we may not appreciate our gift, or we may not have discovered it, or we may be too focused on other people's gifts, but the Bible says that God has given each of us talent, opportunity, relationships, a network of influence, that's special in itself. Can you think of any other things? There's, there's a lot in Scripture, a lot of declarations about what God thinks about you. Yes, that's a good one. I love that one. Prepared uh, for good works so that we should w- walk in them. And we're all unique. We're all what? Yeah, a character, as they say. (laughs) You hear people say, God broke the mold when he made him. Well, he broke every mold, right? Each each one of us is is different and unique. I like to think of um, mercies over me every morning. Yeah. Why would he be so merciful toward us if he didn't value us? And he... You know, people will say, God has to be keeping me around for some reason. Well, he's showing mercy on you because he believes in you. He believes that you 
you're special and you deserve a second chance and that you have a purpose in this life. So don't focus on the worldly messages out there. They're very negative. They will bring you down. That's not what humility is. Humility can embrace God's positive declarations without thinking more highly of itself than it ought to think. Okay, we've got a little more time. Let me keep going here. Secondly, humility doesn't mean your contributions are unimportant. You know, it's not saying, well, you know, what I do doesn't matter. It's not that kind of false modesty where you don't think your contributions have any value. I was reading about this um, veteran, Charles Plum. He was a jet fighter pilot in Vietnam. He flew 75 combat missions, and then he was shot down over Vietnam. And he was a prisoner of war for six years. And after he was released, he went around the country talking about his experiences and what he learned, talking about character and strength and what brought him through all his ordeals. And he was with his wife in a restaurant on one occasion, and somebody recognized him and said, you're Charles Plum. And he said, yeah. He said, I was on the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk with you. And uh, he said, I was with you when you flew the mission that you got shot down in. And Plum said, how did you know me? And he said, the man said, well, I packed your parachute. And uh, he said, well, it must have worked because I uh, survived that whole ordeal. And he started talking about that man in his talks as he went around the country. He said, I don't know how many times I passed him on the Kitty Hawk and didn't say good morning or anything, didn't recognize him. I was a fighter pilot. He was just a, a sailor, and I didn't really value his contributions, but I'm here today because this man chose excellence in his work, and he saw the value of his work. And then Plum would ask his audiences, who packs your parachute? And those who are in positions of um, honor, those who get recognized a lot for their contributions, need to ask themselves that question a lot. Who is putting me in a position for greatness? Who is putting me in a position for success? Who's always standing behind me, supporting me, who may not get a pat on the back? How have I gotten to this position? How am I really where I am today? Did I really do this? Whose shoulders am I standing on? And we all need to ask that question. And if you're one of the ones packing the parachutes, one of the ones propping others up, don't feel bad that you don't get the recognition or the thank yous that you deserve because God knows it. And remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you're doing something for the kingdom of God, whatever it is, your contribution is not small. It is important, and you may not get recognized for it now, but you will in eternity.
And that's what really matters. Okay, that's a, a good stopping place. We're about halfway through understanding humility. And uh, when we come back next week, we'll finish understanding humility and talk about seven steps for developing humility. Uh, does anybody want to add anything before we dismiss? Yes, Don. That's right. And it's, do we ever quite get there? I mean, if you're, if you're balancing in a gym, doing balancing exercises, I do this a lot because with Parkinson's, um, balance is one of the things that goes out the window. So work on that. And if you're working on your balance, you're never just standing still. You're, you're, you're making constant adjustments. If you're standing on a balance beam, so if you're going to find that balance between thinking too highly of yourself and thinking too lowly of yourself, then you're, you're going to be paying attention to your attitude on a daily basis. You're going to be praying about this on a daily basis. That's good, Don. appreciate that. Anything else? All right. Well, that's all I've got for this morning. Thank you for your comments and your attention.